When I first bought Hank, he had a few things that needed repairing. Hank, by the way, is the name of my car. <laughs> Amber, when, we, when I first bought Hank, Amber was driving behind me, and she's like, that car looks like a Hank. <laughs> Should be. Nope. All right. There we go. All right, so when Amber was behind me, she said, that looks like a Hank. So that's how Hank got his name. Hank had a leaky manifold gasket, which was kind of a big project to fix. But he also had some brake pads, uh, rotors, and calipers that needed to replace. I really like stopping in time, so we needed to get that taken care of. So at the time when Hank needed these repairs, Amber and I were living with her parents uh, this was during my internship with Michael, and I was uh, down south near Kentwood, south of Grand Rapids. So I went to Darwin's house. Darwin is a is a friend of ours. He goes to North Kent, or uh, not North Kent, he goes to Garden Park Church of God, uh, just a little south of Sister Church of ours. And Darwin is a mechanic, and he really knows his way around a vehicle, not to mention he also has all the right tools for the job. And I'm a big believer in having the right tools for the job. I hate working if I can't use the right tool. So I also lack understanding of cars, at least in part. I, I'm not a full mechanic by any means. I have some understanding, learning more, but I did not feel comfortable tackling the job myself of replacing the calipers, pads, and rotors, and especially when it's something as important as brakes. You know, you like you botch up changing a spark plug. One cylinder doesn't fire. You know, like your car's still going to go. It can be fixed later, but you mess up brakes, you know, you almost die. yeah, you almost die or something breaks. You, you don't want to mess up that process. So I went to Darwin to help me get these repairs made properly. So, you know, I'm, I'm young. He's, he's not old, but he doesn't like getting down on his knees in the middle of August in the 95 degree heat to take lug nuts off. So I'm doing all the manual hard lifting labor, which is appropriate. So he gives me his very nice impact gun. And I'm, I start taking the lug nuts off, start taking the wheels off so we can get to the underside of the car and make these repairs. And everything's going fine, of course, until the last wheel where there's one lug nut that is not coming off. So the impact wrench, I mean, it wasn't doing the job. It, it would just not budge. It would probably break my wrist if I just kept trying to do it. So I decided to go old school. And I used the trusty old method of leverage. So I grabbed the lug wrench which is about a one-foot leverage arm, you know, well, it's just a normal wrench you'd use to take a lug nut off. And I started working on this lug nut. And, you know, I'm, over, I'm like, on top, it was like the car's right in front of me. I'm, like, trying to, like, deadlift, you know, this. I'm trying to deadlift this lug nut off, and that's not working. So I start using my body weight. I'm, like, leaning down on the wrench, and I'm, like, trying to balance in case it does break loose so I don't smash my face against the car. And that doesn't work, so I just, like, start, like like using my body weight and my leg to try to break this lug nut off and it is not moving i mean to make matters worse like i said this is in the middle of august and it's like 95 degrees and it's like high humidity it's out in the sun and i am sweating bullets in the middle of this suburban neighborhood i'm sure i looked like a crazy man you know like my hair all sweaty and like all over the place i was grunting and making noises and and running around this car like a wild animal like it was just not a pretty sight. So I, I give this a try for a few minutes to wrestle this nug, lug nut loose. And 
it's not working. So I just go get Darwin. I say, hey, this is our problem. What do you think we should do? So he gets some penetrating oil to help break the, the lug nut loose. We let it sit there for a few minutes, and then he goes, gets the cheater bar, which is like this three-foot extra length. And sure, we hope that's going to do it. So I give that if you try for a couple minutes, different positions, deadlift, body weight, stomping, nothing, nothing's working. It's just not moving at all. And at this point, I start to lose my mind a little bit. <laughs> because I've been at this for a long time, and I'm very uncomfortable. And I am just trying to get this job done. I thought it was going to be simple, but it's turning into a very annoying project. And it gets to the point where we're not even trying to save the lug nut or bolt anymore. We're just happy to break it off. So he goes and gets this, like, five or, like, eight-foot-long, like, like, galvanized rod in his garage and hooks it to the end of the lug nut wrench. And I'm, like, like I'm at the very end of this, like, five-foot or eight-foot rod just, like, putting all my body weight on it. And it's not moving. Like, every time I try to put my body weight on it, it, like, moves the car. So, like, it's just, it's just not coming off. So, finally, I'm like, Darwin, what do we do? And he's like, just give me a second. And he walks in to his garage, and he comes back out with his acetylene torch, which burns at 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. He said, so I'm like kind of freaking out a little bit because I've never done this before. I'm like, what are you taking a torch to my car for? So he takes the torch, and he just points out the lug nut, and then seconds it starts to glow hot. A few seconds later, it just starts melting in half, and it's pretty cool to watch it just start dripping. (laughs) You know, the lug nut like dripping off of my car onto the concrete. And he finishes, and he, he pretty much just melts the lug nut and nut off the car. And he says to me, it's impossible for something to be tight if it's a liquid. <laughs> I guess he's right. So we ran into this problem now where we have to go to the auto parts store, get a new lug nut, get a new lug, put it into the car. Everything was repaired successfully. But sometimes conflict can be like this, can be like my lug nut story, where The lug nut represents the other person, and you are me. And no matter what angle you try or method you apply, there is no movement. Have you guys ever been in a conflict like this, where there just doesn't seem to be any give or take, there's nothing happening? You feel like you've exhausted every ability you have to get things moving and to make something happen, but there just isn't anything that's going to make it right. Yeah, and you don't want to burn your relationship. You don't want to destroy the other person. That's, that's not an option. So we're bringing, there's nothing that's bringing these two parties together. Nothing's making it right. You guys have been in these kinds of situations, right? Okay. I know I have. I've tried talking to people. I've tried arranging meetings and writing letters and making apologies and seeking different options and, you know, trying to compromise and make concessions. But sometimes conflict just doesn't get resolved. But what do we do then? What do we do when nothing else works? What does God have to speak into these kinds of situations? These times are inevitable and they will come in our lives. And it would be foolish for us to think that every conflict is just going to work itself out. Even between two believing Christians... And especially not with people who disagree fundamentally on their views and things like that. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're finishing up the last episode, series, whatever, last message in our Bumping Heads series. And we're going to study 
What do we do when nothing else works? So I want to start off with our key verse to remind us. This is our key verse for the entire series. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The whole reason, I've said this every week, the whole reason we're talking about conflict is so that we can become better peacemakers and therefore become children of God. By seeking to make peace in our lives with the people around us, we are witnessing to them. We are showing them God and Christ through our living, through following the commands that have been given to us. And as we move into this topic of what do we do when nothing else works, the most important thing for us to remember is that peace is always our first option. Okay, it is always the first place we should go. Uh, let's take a teaching here from Hebrews chapter 12. If you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to take a look at this passage. I'm trying not to move around or jump around too much because I'm going to start sweating from my clothes. I do, like taking a lug nut off the car. (laughs) So, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 14. This is what it says Pursue peace with all men. That's not just males, but all people. Pursue peace with all people. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, cause that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. The author of Hebrews is calling us to pursue peace. The Greek word here is dioko. That's kind of the English spelling of it right there, dioko. Which, with the connotation here, brings to mind the idea of hunting down prey or aggressively chasing after something. Kind of a strong word. It's not like, hey, I just want you to kind of like walk in the direction of peace. I want you to like sprint after it. Chase it down. In my mind, I get this idea. My my mom grew up in Missouri. Her dad loved coon hunting and he raised coon hounds. And I get this idea of these hounds just like chasing a raccoon through the woods and up a tree. I get this idea, another image in my head is like those, those uh, like a mounted party chasing foxes, you know, like a fox hunt through the field and through the forest, just like pursuing them, chasing after them. This is the idea that this word is supposed to put into our minds and it paints a vivid image that we're not supposed to just kind of walk after it. We're supposed to run after it. And by contrast to this verse, I know I sometimes drag my feet when it comes to making peace. Do you guys ever do that? Instead of sprinting, you're just kind of like this. I don't want to make peace sometimes because it means I'm going to have to go into a confrontation. Or because I don't like the person and I don't think they deserve my apology. 
or because it means that I'm going to have to have an uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation. And those can go on and on and on. All the reasons why we don't want to run after and chase peace. There are many times where I have gone out of my way to avoid peace. And notice that in verse 15, this is a really bad idea. Because it says that if we avoid peace, if we don't pursue it, if we don't run after it, then a root of bitterness can spring up. And that will cause a great amount of trouble, and it will defile many. It will pollute. It will corrupt. In other words, this bitterness that comes from allowing our conflict to continue will become this root that spreads. Just having bad images of poison ivy in my mind too soon. And it divides and ultimately is going to cause us to be corrupted. And yet, if you didn't need another reason, this is it. If, if you wanted a good reason to pursue peace, here's another reason. Don't let that bitterness grow up and spread and corrupt us. So let's move on to another passage here. You don't, you don't have to turn it with. I got it up here on the screens. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 18. We read it a couple weeks ago. And it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. This is the same message that we just read in Hebrews. Some people think that Paul is the author of the letter to the Hebrews. Peace is always our first priority and our first option. But notice that Paul says, if possible. There is a little qualifying, that little qualifying phrase opens up the door to the possibility that we won't be able to live at peace with everyone all the time. Why else would Paul say it? Paul himself knows this from his own personal experience and from basic observation of humanity. If you just spent a week, if you just put a bunch of random people together, maybe not even a week, a day, you would see confrontation happening, right? You, you would see that happening. So, if possible, maybe when he was writing this verse in Romans, he was thinking of his own life and an encounter he had. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Because we're going to look at the life of Paul and see a confrontation recorded in Scripture. It's not very often we get to study the person who also writes the passage. So he says in Romans, if possible, live at peace. And then we get an option to study what he did in a confrontation in Acts chapter 15. So leading up to this conflict between Paul and Barnabas, they were traveling together. They were both missionaries. They went around traveling, preaching the word, sharing the good news about Jesus. And they had been a pretty good team up until this point. So they went back to Jerusalem to help kind of settle this issue. There was a debate on how much did the Gentiles have to do in order to become Christians? How much of the law specifically, how much of the Jewish law did they have to follow in order to be saved? And it turns out the answer wasn't much. So if you want to see what the requirements are, you can read the beginning of chapters 15. It'll kind of lay out what we Gentiles, that's who we are, are supposed to do. So anyway, this topic gets handled. Paul and Barnabas did what they came to accomplish. And now Paul and Barnabas are free to move on to new things. And so that's where we pick up the story in verse 36. 
After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, some people just call him John Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not had gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed to the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul thinks it's a good idea if they go back to the churches where they just were to strengthen and encourage them because these are new churches, they're new to the faith. Let's go back, let's keep preaching and let's encourage them. And it seems like Barnabas is on board with the idea. He doesn't not want to do it. He just wants to take John Mark with them. Now we don't know their history until Luke tells us right here, but at some point, John Mark abandoned them in the city of Pamphylia on their journeys. And this wishy-washy attitude that John Mark showed to Paul kind of left a bad impression on him. Paul didn't want anything to do with this kid. He didn't want anything to do with this guy and what he was, what he was about. And so when Barnabas said, hey, let's take this, this guy with us, I was like, no, why, why would we take him along if he's just going to bail out on us again? And there seems to actually be some evidence that maybe Barnabas and John Mark were related in other places in the New Testament. On the other hand, I think Barnabas saw something in John Mark of value. I think he saw that, oh, you know, he did go with us for a little bit. He was a part of our preaching ministry, you know. Maybe he can grow. Maybe he can mature. Maybe this was just a shortcoming that he had right now. Either way, whatever the case, it is clear that these men did not see eye to eye, right? Very clear. A sharp disagreement came up between them. If Barnabas was the lug nut, Paul was the five-foot cheater bar. Neither of them were moving. Nothing was happening. Both were putting in a lot of work and got nowhere. So what happens when nothing else works? They split their own ways and they did their own thing. When they could not see eye to eye, when they could not find a resolution, they split. Now, it's not in the record. It's not here in what Luke records. But you would imagine that these two Christian brothers, who very much care about the faith and their ministry, spent some effort trying to find a way to make this work out. It's not like... Barnabas, it's not like quite as short as we, it was here, I'm sure. Paul walks up, hey, do you want to uh, go back to the churches? Barnabas goes, yeah, sure, let's take John Mark. No. You know, it didn't go down like that. It would have been a conversation. I'm sure they tried to reach some kind of compromise, try to find some resolution, but they couldn't. They couldn't. So when people don't see eye to eye, when they can't make things right between them, sometimes we need to split our own ways. And kind of a counterintuitive thought, isn't splitting your own way when you can't find resolution its own kind of peacemaking? I know it doesn't seem like it at first, 
But when they split their ways, they decide to put their disagreement aside. They're not continuing to fight. They put it aside. And they continue on their goal, their shared goal of spreading the gospel. It's not like they just gave up on what God was asking them to do. They kept doing it. They just did it a little differently. What I think about when I see this is is how it shows us a healthy way to manage conflict when it seems like nothing else is working. And there are a couple examples I can think of in my life, and I won't say them now because they don't need to be brought up again. But where this is how those things ended, peace couldn't be made, resolution couldn't be found, and so the most peaceful thing to do, the most God-honoring thing to do is say, we agree to disagree, let's just go our own way. Now, I want to caution us. I say that, and I don't want to say it too lightly. I want to caution us to not just jump into splitting ways right when a conflict happens. More often than I think we'd like to admit, more often than we want to happen, compromising and understanding and listening are not the first steps in conflict resolution. Splitting ways are the first steps. And this splitting ways may be easier than trying to work through difficult problems, but it ultimately destroys if there isn't that process of peace beforehand. It is the last option, not the first. Remember, peacemaking, trying to understand each other, listening, everything we've talked about, putting others' needs first, are supposed to be the first options not splitting. But there is that option reserved for when we need to use it. It is an option to just agree to disagree and split ways, but to maintain love through that. It's not like Paul and Barnabas hated each other. It's not like they decided to never talk to each other again. They still loved each other. They're still fellow Christians. So, Like I said, splitting is a legitimate option when nothing else works. Going your own way, whatever you want to call it, is a legitimate option when nothing else works. But I have seen it abused. So we need to be very careful to not abuse that option. I'm sure you can see it where churches have split, where families have split, where they should not have where relationships were broken because they didn't try to pursue peace. And this passage from Acts 15 also shows us that in some cases, maybe most cases, there's some gray room. And that might make us uncomfortable, but it's the truth. It's not like Luke says that Barnabas sinned by taking John Mark on his journey. And it's not like Luke said that Paul was on the run for not taking him. They just didn't agree on what the right way was. And we each need to wrestle and try to understand and seek what God wants for us in our lives. And we need to pursue peace like we're hunting down prey. But that doesn't mean that we won't disagree. And that also means that we can't be friendly when we decide to split ways. And in fact, I think given enough time and prayer Sometimes these relationships where you decide to split ways can be healed. There's evidence in 2 Timothy 4.11 and Colossians 4.10 that Barnabas, Paul, and Mark were actually working together again. And Mark even calls, or even 
And Paul even calls Mark helpful in his ministry. Now that is a world different than saying, I don't even want this guy to be with us, to calling him a helpful brother in the work of God's gospel. Things can change. And when conflict comes to an impasse and we need to separate ways, we can feel discouraged, right? We can feel beaten down from conflict that just happened. And it would be understandable for that splitting ways to discourage us, to demoralize us, to make us feel like our passion is, is left, our tiredness has overcome us. A lot like what I felt like after wrestling with that lug nut for 30 minutes. Except way worse because it's not just a silly car, it's an interpersonal relationship. And when we hit these hard times in our lives, it's important for us to remember to rest in God's grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in time of need. And this is where it gets to you. This is where you can take some of these lessons that we've looked at and apply them to your lives. As we just said, number one, rest in God's grace. When we are in conflict, we need to, when, when we need help, when we're in conflict, when things seem out of control, we need to be looking to God. And we need to be at the feet of his throne praying, seeking wisdom, and lifting up our situation to him. And then we need to gain perspective. We need to see the big picture that God is in control. That he is there to support us. That he loves us through difficult times. That he gives us strength through the spirit that he so lovingly poured into our lives. And how easy is it for us to just worry and lose perspective when we're in the midst of a crisis or conflict? It's pretty easy, right? When things are going wrong, it's really easy for us not to realize what God is doing in our lives. Like I said, when that lug nut wasn't coming off, I was losing my mind. I was getting extremely frustrated, and that was just a small problem. And I can understand how when we're dealing with big problems, big conflicts, where in the moment, we can start to lose our minds a little bit. We can lose the knowledge that God has placed in our hearts. But we can't let that happen. We have to rest in God's grace. We have to pray and bring things to him. By keeping our eyes focused on God, he will bestow on us his mercy and grace. Number two, you need to realize that you can't fix every problem. I know that this is harder for some of us than others. I'm included in the group where I just want to make everyone happy. I, I am a people pleaser to an extent, and as I'm growing in ministry and leadership and just maturing in age, I'm realizing that's an impossible task, right? Stephanie, I know you're pretty amazing, but is everybody happy with you all the time at your school? Okay. We can't please everybody all the time. That doesn't mean we just throw up our hands and do whatever we want, right? Hey, I can't make everybody happy, so I'm just going to be a bully. I'm just going to do whatever I think is right and not take anybody else's opinion into consideration. No. But what we do need to realize is that sometimes we're just going to have to split ways. We're just going to have to learn to disagree in love. Saying, hey, we're obviously not going to agree on this. 
let's just decide to kind of just set it aside and love each other just move on there are going to be some times where you have to spend hours in prayer there are going to be times when you feel like you're alone on an island but honoring God through the conflict doing that hard work is totally worth it because handling things in a godly way is the best testimony we have as a Christian number three Remember, there's always a future ahead of us. In the moment when we have to split ways to agree to disagree, it can seem like we maybe lost that relationship forever. And in the example of Paul and Barnabas, who knows what they thought? Maybe Paul said, I'm probably never going to work with him again. Or I'm never going to work with John Mark at least. I bet Paul did not consider that John Mark would be, in his future, a helpful part of his ministry. Even when we go out of our way, in conflict, even when we have to kind of split ways, as long as we're pursuing God first, the options are always open. God is a miracle worker, and sometimes it takes a miracle to restore relationships. But God can do that kind of work. That doesn't mean he's always going to, but he can. And I know that some of you have broken relationships, and you can't imagine them being healed, but God is so big. And so powerful that that option is always on the table. There's always a future. I'm not promising it's going to be restored. But the option's there. Over the series, we've looked at a lot of scripture and we've discussed a lot of things. And I just want to recap what we talked about. So that way, when you walk away today, you feel like you have a good summation of what God thinks about conflict. So in the first sermon, we got an overview of conflict and how to resolve conflict. In that message, we learned that we need to let Christ shine through us in conflict. We also learned that we need to be ready to move fast and work hard when conflict arises. Remember, Jesus used that parable of a guy who came to the altar to offer sacrifice. He says, if then you remember you have something against a brother, a brother has something against you, leave your sacrifice, go immediately, be reconciled to him, and then come back before you go to God. We need to be ready to work hard, move fast, and let Christ shine through us in conflict. In the second message, we dive more into what it takes to restore a broken or bruised relationship. The process that we can go through to help heal after we've been in a conflict. In that message, we studied how we need to be ready to make the first move. We need to be ready to start with forgiveness and healing and love on our part. That is our burden. We also learned that preparation is really important. You remember I made an analogy about making a bathroom wall? It takes a lot of work to get to the point where you can paint it. Preparation is really important. And the first thing that we do, the first part of preparation that we do, is looking at our fault in the conflict. We wouldn't have a conflict if we didn't do something wrong, probably. Even if it's just 1% of our fault. We need to take the log out of our own eye. We need to do our own reflection before we go to our brother or sister, before we go to our coworker or family member, whatever they may be, and try to point out the speck in their eye. And then there's a really important series of events next. Listen, understand, and then talk. Listen, understand, and then speak when you're trying to restore relationships, when you're trying to heal. Remember, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. 
Lastly, we saw how that when it is our time to speak, because we do have hurts, we do have opinions, and those things are, are valid to speak out. We need to speak that in love. Speak the truth in love. Just because we have things to say doesn't mean we can say whatever we want, however we want to say it. We still need to be honoring Christ in our conduct and speech. That means if your words aren't loving, if they aren't useful, that we shouldn't use them. That means stay away from cursing. When you're in conflict, stay away from foul language. That means stay away from name-calling and finger-pointing because those things aren't productive. They don't get anything done. Wow. We've got a tough job to do as peacemakers. We've looked at a lot of stuff. And it isn't going to be a walk in the park to be a follower of Christ, especially in conflict. But what a blessing it is for us to be able to function in a way, to be able to function as peacemakers, as children of the living God in a world that is full of division. That we get to hold that ministry, that we get to be those people. That we've been called to a calling of peace and holiness and love when the rest of the world says division and hate. We can be reconcilers. We can be peacemakers. And I hope that we leave today better peacemakers than we were when we came here. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the ministry of your son that you sent to us to show us what it means to live in peace. I thank you for the teaching of the disciples and apostles who are there to inform us on what it means to live a life after you and your son. I just pray that you show us those relationships that need restored. They give us the courage to speak truth and love. They give us patience and an open ear and an open heart to listening to people who are hurting. And God, I pray that you give us the strength when nothing else works to split, to disagree in love, and to let that relationship be healed by time and by you and by prayer. So in your son's name we pray. Amen.